serious. Yeah, why so serious? We're just talking about murder here. Yeah, we are. Uh, but this is your show. I'm just the, you know, I'm just here. Yeah, so shut the fuck up and let me go. Okay. Just play my clips, monkey boy. As you wish. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? Yeah, so if you find it funny, we're going to be talking about Rodney Akala, also known as the dating game killer. Please welcome Rodney Alcala. Now, Rodney Alcala is an American serial killer who was active from 1968 to 1979. He enjoyed strangling his victims and then reviving them many times until finally killing them. He's been compared to Ted Bundy in his methodology of selecting victims. Now, to deep dive on him, Rodney James Acala was born Rodrigo Jacques Alcala Bacour on August 23, 1943, in San Antonio, Texas, to Ana Maria Gutierrez and Raul Alcala Bacour. His father moved the family to Mexico in 1951 and then abandoned them three years later. Bye, have a beautiful time! In 1954, Akala's mother moved him and his two sisters to Los Angeles. In 1961, Akala joined the army at 17, where he served as a clerk for three years until his medical discharge due to a mental breakdown, which resulted in a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder by a military psychologist. It's worth noting that Akala went AWOL and hitchhiked from Fort Bragg to his mother's house in Los Angeles. Is the city I live in the city of now, Akala enrolled at UCLA to study art after leaving the Army and graduated from the UCLA School of Fine Art in 1968. Now, Akala first committed his first assault on September 25th, 1968, when he lured eight-year-old Talia Shapiro into his Hollywood apartment, where he raped and then beat her with a steel rod. He got a hard on, he got horny, he lost control, he went out of his mind. Now, a witness saw Akala lure the girl into his apartment and called the police, but when they knocked on the door, he claimed he'd just stepped out of the shower. When the police broke the door down, they discovered he had fled out a window, thus evading capture. Akala fled to New York, where he enrolled at NYU Film School under the alias John Berger. Now, while there, he studied film under Roman Polanski, which will be very interesting later in our story. In 1971, while still a fugitive for Talia's rape, the FBI put Akala on their 10 most wanted list. The same year, he got a job as a counselor at an all-girls art camp in New Hampshire under the name John Berger. It's quite interesting because the name was spelled differently but pronounced the same. You would think he could have been a little more creative. Now, luckily, two keen, observant children recognized him from a wanted poster in the post office, and he was quickly arrested and extradited back to California. Alcala was charged with child molestation instead of rape and attempted murder because without their primary witness, the authorities didn't feel they could get a conviction. <laughs> 
Alcala was sentenced to three years, but spent only 17 months behind bars for Talia's assault because Talia's father didn't want her to testify and subsequently moved the family to Mexico. In June of 1971, 23-year-old Cornelia Michael Crilly was found raped and strangled in her Manhattan apartment, having fallen victim to Alcala before his capture. Hey, she was asking for it. In 1974, Akala was paroled, and less than two months later, he assaulted a 13-year-old girl known only as Julie J. due to her minor age at the time of the offense. Three is a magic number. Akala lured Julie under the false pretense of a ride to school, and for this assault, he served two years and was again paroled. Now, amazingly, in 1977, after being released for the assault on Julie J., Akala's parole officer did something unprecedented and frankly irresponsible. He allowed Akala, a repeat sex offender and flight risk, to travel to New York City. You're fired. Get out of here. One week after his arrival in New York, New York City! It's believed Akala killed 23-year-old Ellen Jane Hover. Now, Hover was the daughter of the owner of the famous nightclub Ciro's in Hollywood and the goddaughter to Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. of Rat Pack fame. Ellen's body was found on a hillside overlooking the Hudson River about half a mile west of North Tarrytown, New York, on the grounds of Phelps Memorial Hospital. In 1978, Alcala worked briefly as a typesetter for the L.A. Times. And during this time, he was interviewed by the Hillside Strangler Task Force to rule him out due to his, his record of sexual offenses. In 1978, Akala also appeared on the dating game as a contestant, where he won the date with the bachelorette, but due to him creeping out the woman who was the bachelorette, Cheryl Bradshaw, who refused to go on the date with him, it is thought that this rejection is what exacerbated his psychopathy. This appearance would also later garner him the moniker, the dating game killer. During the years 1978 to 1979, Akala convinced hundreds of young men and women to pose nude for him under the guise that he was a photographer and wanted or needed them for his portfolio. Now, Akala admitted in 1979, while photographing Monique Hoyt, he knocked her unconscious. And guess what? Raped again. He raped her. So following that incident, on June 20th, 1979, in Huntington Beach, California, Akala was trolling for victims on the beach. Hey, which one of you cute little cupcakes wants to come home and cook me a nice meal and give me a blowjob? Blowjob! Akala encountered 12-year-old Robin Samso while she was spending time with her best friend on the beach, and it's believed he abducted, raped, and strangled Robin on her way to her first day of work at the local ballet studio. Robin's body was found 12 days later in the foothills of Los Angeles. In addition to Robin Samso, Alcala murdered Jill Barcom, 18, from New York, who was found rolled up like a ball in a ravine in L.A. in 1977, Georgia Wickstead, 27, who was found in her Malibu apartment in 1977, where she had been bludgeoned to death. We were dancing and I got horny. Charlotte Lamb, 31, who was found raped and strangled in the laundry room of her El Segundo apartment complex in 1978. Have you ever seen white or white? And Jill Perantu, 21, who was killed in her apartment in 1979, 
all of Akala's victims were posed in particular positions. I'm Gumby, damn it! In July of 1979, Akala was arrested and charged with the murder of Robin Samso, of which he was convicted in 1980 and given a life sentence. This conviction, however, was overturned due to jurors not being properly informed of his prior sex crimes. What? In 1986, after a second trial, which was virtually identical with the exception of Alcala's previously omitted sexual crime history, the verdict was the same and he was again sentenced to life. The second conviction was overturned in 2001, citing a witness was not allowed to support Alcala's claims that the park ranger who found Robin's body had been hypnotized by police investigators. You're shitting me. It was while preparing for the third trial in 2003 that investigators learned Akala's DNA matched the four aforementioned victims, Jill Barcombe, Georgia Wickstead, Charlotte Lamb, and Jill Perantu. It should be noted that the earrings of both Robin Samso and Charlotte Lamb were found in a storage unit in Seattle, Washington, owned by Akala. That's how you know you fucked up! In 2003... Prosecutors petitioned the court to join the Samso case with the other four victim cases, which was contested due to what Akala's lawyers claimed would be the inability of jurors to have reasonable doubt due to, an, due to DNA evidence. No shit. So in 2006, the court granted the prosecution's request, and in 2010, Akala stood trial again, this time for all five murders. For the third trial... Alcala chose to represent himself, acting as his own attorney, spending in excess of five hours asking and answering questions posed to himself by himself. I object, Your Honor, and I move to strike! It took less than two days of deliberation to uphold the two previous verdicts and find him guilty of the first-degree murder of Robin Samso and the other four women. During the penalty phase of the trial, Talia Shapiro... Alcala's first victim was a surprise witness. Surprise, motherfucker! Despite testimony by Richard Rappaport, a psychiatrist, that borderline personality disorder could explain Alcala's claims of no memory of committing the murders, the prosecution argued that Alcala was a sexual predator who knew what he was doing wrong and didn't care. They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling and trying to catch me riding Seattle police also believed, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> in March 2010, Alcala was sentenced to death for a third time. For what I'm getting ready to do, I don't want to remember a lot of it. Seattle police also believe Alcala was responsible for the murders of Antoinette Walker, 13, in July of 1977, and Joyce Gaunt, 17, in February of 1978. Now, also in March of 2010, NYPD and Huntington Beach Police in California released 120 photos Alcala had taken in hopes of trying to identify some of the possible victims in them. Over 900 photos could not be made public because they were too explicit. 21 women contacted the police to report being safe after seeing their photos, as well as six families who recognized loved ones who disappeared and were never located. In 2013, the family of missing woman Christine Thornton contacted police after seeing her photo among those posted. Christine's body was found in Wyoming in 1982. Her remains were verified by a familial DNA match in 2015. Her sister was the familial DNA match for anyone who is curious. 
In September 2016, Akala was charged with the murder of 28-year-old Christine Ruth Thornton, who disappeared in 1977. Christine was six months pregnant at the time, and although Alcala admits to taking the photos, he denies having killed her. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Thornton is the first murder victim linked to the photos since they were posted in 2010. In 2011, a Manhattan grand jury indicted Alcala on the murders of Cornelia Crilly in 1971 and Ellen Hover in 1977. On January 7, 2013, Alcala was sentenced to an additional 25 years to life as New York hasn't had the death penalty since 2007. In 2011, investigators in Marin County made claims that Alcala killed Pamela Jean Lamson in 1977. Her battered and naked body was found off a hiking trail in that county. Lamson disappeared after going to meet a man who offered to photograph her. At the time, no fingerprints nor usable DNA was found. With developments in DNA technology, it was now possible to link Alcala to the crime. As of July 2021, 110 photos of the original posted remain online with ongoing efforts to identify the men and women in them. Alcala died on July 24, 2021 in Corcoran State Prison in Corcoran, California, of unspecified natural causes. He was 77. Now, what I find interesting about this story is that Corcoran is also where uh, Manson, Charlie Manson, one of the future episodes we will do, was housed until his death in 2017. And the fact that Akala studied under... Roman Polanski, who just happened to be the boyfriend of Sharon Tate, one of the women that was murdered in the bloody attack carried out by the Manson family under Manson's direction. That's just really seven degrees of Kevin Bacon that he studies under the man of which he is going to be housed in the same prison as the man who ultimately responsible for the man's girlfriend's death. That's just, that's some seven degrees of Kevin Bacon stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, well, if I guess if you're going to learn from the best, you know, I mean. Well, yeah, that is true. Although, I still take the uh, stand that Charlie Manson didn't do anything. He did not hold the knife. He did not make those people kill the people that night. He, I mean, he may have been influential in it, but he... You know, they said it was, you know, as good as if he had held the knife. I, I've just always disagreed with that. Oh, well, I mean, not saying he wasn't completely batshit crazy, but <clears> I just disagree. Yeah, well, I, and I, I don't know enough about the incident to uh, to say one way or the other, but it's, but you know, to, to say that uh, somebody has lied about what that incident is, I'm sure there's reasons to do so. Oh, I'm um, sure. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 were, were any of us there? No, of course we weren't. But. That's right. Yeah, uh, you know, but he's, you know, but, uh, you know, Man, you know, Manson was, yeah, was it was Manson batshit crazy? Probably, but not. Uh, well, I think to some degree you have to be a bit off balance to commit murder in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think with any behavior that we generally consider abhorrent, I mean, yeah, I think you actually, yeah, there, there's, uh, there's a certain amount of crazy that goes in there, right? That, there has to be. Yeah. Um, the question is, you know, what, you know, what is the, what is the condition that causes that? It's, uh, um, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's, I've, I've never really thought about the psychology of, uh, of, of murder before, but that is, uh, you know, that you want, you wonder what causes somebody to say, yeah, it's okay to go kill somebody. Must be. Yeah. I've often wondered that myself. Yeah. So, 
but that's I think that's what you're going to do with this uh, with this um, with this podcast that you're working on. Yeah, I'm going to deep dive into some of these crazy individuals and uh, tell you all about what they did while adding a little bit of a comic spin to it because we we take ourselves too seriously. We can't go back and erase what these monsters have done. So if I can present it to you all with a little bit of levity and a whole lot of uh, debauchery, I'm sure. Yeah, it's but it's, you know as, as you as we put the clip beginning. Why so serious? That's right, yeah. and you know it's obscene. Yeah, that's, that's the, the point. point. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I have that clip somewhere, but not in here. Um, yeah, I only missed two clips, and it's I had the clips, I just didn't couldn't find them in time, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to. This is why you're fired. Oh, I'll oh, do it myself uh, next time. Well, okay. <laughs> you're fired. Get out of here. That's right. Yeah. Well, but anyway, so um, is, is that all we had? for? Today? That's right. It's a short little 30 minute podcast designed to make you all laugh and entertain you. A little yeah. amuse-bouche. Yeah. And it's mostly going to be her. It's, I'm, not gonna, I'm just, you know. Well, you're we, here for commentary and are on the clipboard. Well, somebody has to do it, I guess. So. That's right. All right. We don't have, we don't have a, we don't have a closing. How do we end these things? I got nothing on this. Yeah, you got nothing on this. This was literally last minute. Bemrose going, hey, if you think you can pull this off. And I'd like to think that I nailed it. Yeah. yeah. Son of a bitch pulled it off. That's right. Yeah, we did. All right. So, um, all right. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna stop the recording here and we'll we'll put this out on our own feed. Uh, so uh, we'll see you next time for another uh, for another episode of The Funny Thing About Murder. Bye. Bye.